Hi, this is Shoesmith Serious Injury Podcast and we're on episode four. Um, today we're going to be focusing on maternity issues. Um, it's a topic that both myself and my co-host Kash Maropol work quite a lot in and we're really happy and grateful to ha- be having two guests with us today. Uh, the first of whom is one of our own uh, solicitors and a legal director based in our Northampton office, Sarah Harper, and by her former client, Michelle Hemmington. Kashmir is going to provide a quick introduction to Michelle. Good morning, everyone, and um, thank you for joining. We're very, very privileged to welcome Michelle and Sarah to join us today. So Michelle um, is uh, one of our clients, um, and Sarah dealt with her case. Uh, Michelle um, sadly lost her son in May 2011 due to clinical negligence in the management of his delivery. Um, and as a result of the failings in his care, Michelle is um, set up a campaign for safer births uh, to try and improve maternity care um, and also to have recognition of, of people who suffer in the same way that Michelle has. So, Michelle, we, we're really, really privileged to have you join us today. Um, and I think um, the next step in this podcast is Michelle telling us a little bit about her story. Is that right, Michelle? Yeah, Michelle, I think it'd be really helpful for our listeners to hear exactly what happened um, in your situation. And I appreciate that must be really difficult for you to speak about, but um, I think it'd be really good to know the background um, as to to what happened. So in um, May 2011, um, I was pregnant with our first child, Louis. Um, He was actually nine days overdue when I went into labour on the 17th of May. Um, Straight away, things um, weren't running smoothly when we Got to hospital, we were told that we picked a bad, bad, bad day to have a baby as the unit was really, really busy. Um, I was asked if I'd get into the bath um, as there was no bed for, available for me, which I did. But then I was left in the bath for around two hours until I, I um, said I can't be in here any longer. The water had gone cold. I wasn't feeling good. Um, so I was placed on the triage ward um, and then pretty much left for five hours Um I wasn't monitored, um, Louis wasn't checked. My sister took over um, from my husband, Paul, um, as he went home to get something to eat, and my gas and air ran out. So she pressed the emergency buzzer to try and get some help. Um, no one came again, so my sister actually tried to get someone to come in. When a midwife did come in, um, I was actually at centimetres dilated, so I was taken to labour ward. I was then given a midwife and things were progressing quite well, but her shift finished at around 8 p.m. So a new midwife took over and she didn't really talk to me. We didn't really have any communication between us. Um, Things carried on, my labour progressed, um, but Louis became distressed. The midwife um, went to get a senior midwife who then tried to um, call the registrar as the consultant wasn't in the hospital. The, uh, The registrar was in surgery um, so it, the decision was made to wait for him to finish. When the registrar came, he took a brief look at Louis's heart trace um, and kind of left the room, gave no instruction. So the senior midwife went after him. Around five minutes later, the senior midwife came back and the midwife said, what were you doing? She went, well, you just kind of shrugged, so I suppose we just carry on. So my labour continued. Louis became more distressed. I I was attached to a monitor, so I could hear his heart rate didn't, to me, sound as it should do. Um, We were told that Paul may not be able to cut the cord um, because he might need a little bit of oxygen when he was born. 
Louis was born, um, I, was, I had a, a pisiotomy, Louis was born almost instantly um, at around 12 minutes um, past 11. He was placed on my chest because I wanted skin to skin. Um, his cord was cut and then he was taken behind the curtain on a resuscitator. Um, that's when we heard lots of alarms going off, lots of screaming for help, really chaotic. Um, the curtain was pulled so we couldn't see anything. And that went on for around 30 minutes. We weren't told anything in that time. We were just left. Um, after 30 minutes, a man came from behind the curtain, didn't introduce himself and said that our son had died. And then he walked off and we were just left in complete disbelief, not, not believing what had happened. Um, you know, we'd, we'd heard his heartbeats up until the point of birth. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was just completely shocking to us and, and be- unbelievable. So sorry to hear that. That's it must must have been such a difficult time for you and 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 has been since. Um what what did you do next after that? Um, what, what happened? We were then told around we we, we were kept in the hospital um because it was around we, after Louis was born and we were told he'd died, we then asked to see him. So we had some some photos taken. I had to I had to obviously stitched and things. Um so it was around three o'clock by the time we'd finished holding him and um I'd been dealt with so we stayed at the hospital we saw the bereavement midwife the following morning and then we were just we just went home and obviously didn't have our baby he he had to stay at the hospital um around a week later we were told we were given paperwork to register him and we were told that he'd be registered as stillborn which I questioned I assumed he'd been in a neonatal death because he'd been resuscitated, attempted resuscitation for 30 minutes. You know, you don't resuscitate a baby that has, you know, has died. Um, so I, I said I, I didn't believe he was stillborn. And I was told that if we didn't register him as stillborn, we wouldn't be able to have a funeral and he wouldn't be registered anywhere. So we had to register him as stillborn. I suppose in that situation, you felt that you had no choice because you wanted to get on with things. We had no choice. We wanted, you know, we needed a funeral. We had to be registered. So we were over yeah. a barrel and we, we had to do it. And I didn't know anyone in this situation. You know, I, I, I didn't know anyone that had had a baby die at birth. Um, we were then, it was around a, um, about a week later that we got paperwork to say there was going to be an internal investigation. And that, that was literally it. It was like a, a, a paragraph that said there'll be an internal investigation into your baby's death. So I contacted the hospital and said, what, said, what does this mean? Can we be involved in it? And we were told yes. But also around that time, we'd thankfully been given Sarah's name at Shoesmith's. And we contacted Sarah straight away um, just for kind of some support on what should we do and you know, what, what should be happening. Um, and then we waited for the internal investigation to come out. Um, for the findings on that um, and I think there was around 19 failings to say that um, you know mistakes had happened during his birth but they hadn't obviously didn't um, admit to causing his death or you know that, that they had died because of those failings um, and that's when then Sarah took over and you know she was godsend absolutely godsend. I'm guessing in, in that situation having just had that really devastating news it was really important for you to have that person to take control and to to guide you through the process because I, I know from a professional perspective it can be quite difficult to navigate um as someone who mm-hmm. may not be yeah I mean we before. were it didn't feel real none of it felt real because it was so unexpected 
you know, I didn't know anyone that was in this situation. I didn't know how I should be grieving. Um, it was it was like no other grief. I can't explain it. It's not it's not a normal grief when you lose a, a child. So there were so there were lots of um, gaps in care, really, weren't there? Because um, you you weren't given any support, presumably following um, his death, and no support in the internal no. investigation process. Um, so it's sort of adding insult to injury that just leaving you to deal with it on your own. We had a bereavement midwife and she supported as much as she could, but obviously she's employed by the hospital. So when you feel that, you know, that something has gone wrong and it, it was their errors that caused your child's death, you can't trust, you can't trust that organisation to be open and honest and to, to support you. You don't, and you don't really want it because the trust is gone. Um, so to have Sarah there, who was independent from that, um, was very factual, you know, told us what may happen, what could happen. That's really what we needed at that, at that point. So, Sarah, can you tell us about how you got involved in, in the case and, and, and the yeah. help that you provided to Michelle? Yeah, sure. Michelle and Paul came to us in um, just after, actually, Louis. It wasn't long, was it, after Louis died? Um, and they were obviously explain what happened but they were absolutely crushed by this devastated by it this should have been the most exciting and happy time of their lives giving birth to their first child but they were living a nightmare and that's how they explained it to me you know this is a living nightmare this wasn't meant to happen Michelle had a fantastic um, pregnancy nothing had gone wrong up to that point so this was totally unexpected so we got the medical records. We started investigating by way of um, expert medical evidence. Um, but I think the thing is, in terms of the actual claim itself, um, Michelle and Paul just wanted to find out what happened. They wanted answers because they weren't getting any at all from anybody. And they also wanted the trust to learn from their mistakes in the hospital to learn and put things in place in the future so this wouldn't happen again. But along the way, we found answers for Michelle and Paul. Um, obviously, we'd had the serious incident report, which had highlighted numerous amounts of failings, but that wasn't acceptable. That just wasn't enough, um, and certainly not enough for the trust to admit liability earlier on. So during the um, experts' investigations, they found that um, the episiotomy should have been done earlier and Louis should have been delivered earlier. And had he been delivered earlier, he would have survived. It was actually quite straightforward, wasn't it, Michelle? It wasn't difficult or complex arguments that we had against the trust. So we did actually expected it to be admitted earlier, which it wasn't. It actually took four and a half years for the trust to admit liability just before trial. And every day I recall Michelle telling me she had to relive the birth and the death of her son every day. Um, the expert evidence found that there were worrying signs on the CTG, perhaps for about an hour before Louis was born. And, um, and that was it really, these, these signs should have been picked up, which they weren't, or they weren't picked up quickly enough. Um, and he should have been delivered earlier. And, and that was it, they were the main allegations against the trust. Um, but when it was finally admitted, and it was really important for Michelle and Paul to have the admission, not only of negligence, i.e. the breach of duty, but the admission of causation that Louis would have actually survived. And because of what they did, he didn't. 
and they did finally admit that and I, I know that meant a lot to Michelle and Paul and it meant that they could actually finally get on and grieve because they hadn't been able to do that until that point of omission of liability but it was a long long time to have done that. I think just um, sorry to interrupt there Sarah I think the importance of that admission is really um, important for us to highlight for our listeners because unfortunately it is the case that in some of these claims and cases we don't get an admission of liability and we don't get that acceptance that the, the treatment was substandard and, and in this situation that it caused the death. And I know for many families, that, that's actually what they came into the process for. It's vitally important, isn't it? And, you know, you have to, we discussed this, didn't we, Michelle, quite a lot, that the fact is be prepared for the fact that actually they might not admit liability, but settle the claim anyway. And that's not what we wanted. No compensation is going to bring your baby back. Um, so it was that was vitally important that um, liability in full was admitted. Sarah, why do you think it took them so long to make that admission? And then when they did actually admit, what was the trigger for, for making that admission on their part? Well, I think it was just the pressure that made them admit it because we were going towards trial. And it probably was the fact that they didn't have the, the expert evidence or the correct expert evidence until late in the day. The arguments, um, from what I recall, were that even if the breaches of duty had have occurred, that Louis wouldn't have survived, or he'd have been so badly brain damaged that he wouldn't have survived for long. But of course, what all we needed to prove the case was that, that Louis would have survived, not what condition he would have been in um, had, he have, had he have survived. So those were the arguments. Um, so it could have been down to the expert evidence that they were receiving. But I think in the end that the expert evidence we had, and the arguments we made were just too plain to see. They were too obvious that, that we were going to win the case had it gone to trial. And that's why they admitted liability. And it was only just a few weeks off from trial, as I recall. And Michelle, what did that admission and, and the outcome of the case mean for you? That, that's all we wanted was from the beginning was then just to admit that they'd caused Louis's death because we knew they had. You know, you don't go into hospital with a healthy baby at a healthy pregnancy the whole way through and then go home without a baby. Um, so we knew that they'd made a huge errors in care um, and, and during my labour. And Sarah was completely open and honest and said, you know, it's it's rare when you do get um, them to admit causation. So we knew it's something we may not get, but Sarah also knew that was incredibly important to us and that was the outcome we wanted. And Sarah fought for that. Um, and thankfully we got that because it would have been really hard to have not got them, you know, if they hadn't admitted that, that would have been really hard because of Louis's registration of stillbirth. We couldn't have any independent investigation apart from um, Shoesmith's. You know, we weren't entitled to an inquest. So to get the causation was really, really important. Um you just touched upon what I really wanted to talk about next, and that's um, the fantastic work that you've, you and your family have been doing together with Sarah um, in terms of campaigning. And I understand that you've set up um, the Safer Birth campaign. So could you both tell us a bit about that? Mm -hmm. um, well, in 2013, along with um, Nikki Lyon, who's also the co-founder of Campaign for Safer Births, um, we set up a campaign for safe births um, and there was sort of three sort of main objectives. Um, one was to um, try and get birth certificates for stillbirths because at the moment you only get a certificate of stillbirth. Um, so you don't get a, a birth and death certificate, you just get one certificate. 
um, and it was to allow inquests for full-term stillbirths. So as in Louis' case, babies that died during labour or a, a full term, so from 37 weeks onwards, and for increased consultant presence on labour wards because many hospitals aren't hitting their target of, of consultants on my board and again that was one of the failings in Louis care that there was no consultant in the hospital and the consultant wasn't called um but the registrar was just required for the registrar who was in surgery so they were the main the main things I'd already already been campaigning since Louis death on my own um and then I happened to write to the coroner for Milton Keynes because he'd actually inquested a baby that was registered as stillborn he was able to get around it by initially just doing an investigation to establish if the baby was stillborn. And it was found, found that there was evidence that the baby wasn't stillborn. And that enabled him to hold an inquest. And the inquest found that the baby wasn't stillborn. He, she was a neonatal. Um, so I wrote to him saying, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get the law changed to allow inquests for stillbirths that die during labour. And at the same time, Nikki Lyon, who's the co-founder as well, wrote to him. And he put us in touch with each other. And then we started talking and we wanted the same things. So we decided to join forces, so to speak. And yeah, we set up Campaign Safe Birth in 2013. And we've been going since then. We've got had a private members bill go through, um, which passed, I think, in 2018. And then that enabled a public consultation on inquests for, uh, for stillborns but sadly that still hasn't been released yet um so that's around two years overdue now when it should have should have been released um so until that the findings for that come out we can't progress anymore which is really frustrating sarah how have you been involved in that campaign well she smith knew early on when um when Michelle said about the campaign that, you know, we, we would have to do something really. I mean, it's not right, is it, that you have to wait four and a half years for an explanation as to why your baby died and that there is no independent investigation or early investigation that can provide honest answers. Um, so we've, we've provided funding and we've um, raised awareness through articles with Michelle and Nikki and also attended the consultations um, the last consultations I think two years ago we were hoping to get an earlier answer but yeah I think just general support for the for the platform as well um, in the hope that this would change the law because people don't want to be put through that they you know they want don't want to have um, to wait that long for any answers and have you had example of people and in, in clients come to you since who've been in similar situations where they could benefit from the changes that um, Michelle and her team are, are striving for. Yeah, absolutely, because it's the only way still that they can get answers as to what happened. It's not the compensation, as I said earlier. They just need to find out, and it's the only redress that they've got at, at present, and it's not fair that that's the only recourse. If there, there, there is an inquest early on, then it's up to the, the parents if they want to enter into litigation after that but at least they'll get some answers. And if it's earlier on, that will let them grieve and move forward. It's also on the public record. So Michelle, do you know what the time scale is or for implementation? We're waiting for the consultation. So until the consultation is published, we can't move it forward. It, it, it can't move forward. And you've not been given any time scale for the consultation or anything? No, we've tried, we've tried to get answers as to when it will be released, but we've been told because of COVID and obviously the world has changed since um, 2018, um, so we've not been given a date 
which as I, as I said before is incredibly frustrating we've got this far you know we, we got it through the house of laws the house of commons it's had real, real assent uh, the consultation has been completed it's finished and just not to have it published well the outcome of it is it it's soul destroying really yeah because you've done absolutely everything you can and to now have to wait i mean all those years of litigation then the campaigning then to go through uh, the processes that it has to go through to get to this point and then two years three years later still nothing it must be so frustrating for you yeah i mean it's been completed so it, it's like come on just just get it out there now we you know i'm sure most will be in favor because it's 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 common sense <laughs> you know to have a baby die during labor or just after well we were told it was during labor um something has gone wrong so there is so much to learn you know an inquest would be on the public record um and if there is failings were found then a future a prevention of future death reports could be issued which can stop the same thing happening again so it's incredibly important if our listeners want to find out more information obviously indeed see what the outcome of all of this is um have you got any resources either social media or websites that you could refer them to yeah so we have a website which is just campaign for safer births you google that you'll find it a facebook page again campaign for safer births and we're also on instagram and twitter as well with just all campaigns for safe. and i know on the shoe smiths um, website we have some resources as well um linked to the campaign and the case yes yeah michelle as we come out of covid well hopefully we seem to sort of go back and forth a little bit Hopefully they, the, the recommendations can be implemented. And, and one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast is to keep these issues live and in the uh, public arena so that pressure is brought on the government to make sure that these um, really needed um, changes in law and practice are implemented. Yes. Yeah. And that's great, you know, to, to keep it out there, to keep people talking about it. You know, so much has improved since Louis died. We've got the HSIB which is better than an internal investigation, but it's still not completely independent and it's not on the public record. And why should these babies that die during labour be treated any differently to any other baby death? You know, you still want to know it shouldn't be down to the parents to investigate their own child's death. And thank goodness there is people like Shoesmiths and Sarah who will help fight with you because you can't do it on That's just hit the nail on its head. We, we do have... Um, a passion for this type of work. We have the experience as Sarah's portrayed and it, it's something that we are heavily involved and committed to. Um, Sarah and Cash will echo when I say, unfortunately, this isn't the only type of maternity case that we're involved in. Um, we often represent families who have had children who have suffered cerebral palsy due to mismanagement in birth, um, maternal injuries. And I know Michelle's campaign focuses on those as well. And then other types of complex brain injuries. There's just so many ways that families can be affected if births aren't managed appropriately. Um, and, and I think some of our future podcasts will also focus into those individual areas quite closely. Um, but for now, um, I think that brings us to the close of this episode. And thank you so much to Sarah and, and Michelle. I, I don't underestimate how difficult giving that story and, and, and telling it. I know you will have told it 
so many times during your campaigning, but I, I know that every single time it must be really difficult. So thank you for taking the time um, to do that. No, thank you. Thank you for, you know, covering the, this important subject as well. You're welcome. Michelle, can I just say, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think you're an amazing lady mm. and you're so courageous and an inspiration. It's fantastic what you've done. Absolutely echo that, Sarah. Yeah. Right back at you, Sarah. <laughs> Oh, bless you. I feel the same about you, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> Take care, everyone. I'll speak Thanks, to you again. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, love. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.